0: Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. This week we're joined by Mikael Stane, the singer of the Swedish melodic death metal band, Dark Tranquility. We focus on COVID-19 and Sweden's response, as well as its unique disposition towards herd immunity. We also touch on the band's Haven album, which turned 20 this year and the band's upcoming album titled Moment. Stane discusses his introduction to craft beer and how COVID-19 has impacted the beer scene in Sweden. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone more genuine or sincere than Mikael, and it was a pleasure having him on the show after years of friendship. With all that being said, let's dive and get heavy.
1: of all of it, but Has that kind of dissipated a bit? It, it is super strange. Like- I follow a lot of
2: American news, right? I, I watch CNN, I listen to like all the pods about you know news and you know, elections all stuff and all the stuff and how things are going over there. So comparing that to here, it's kind of surreal. It's kind of like whatever you guys are going through is in a different world. Because here, not a lot of things are different. Like there's no, nobody wears masks except for a few, you know, really, really elderly people That's there. Uh, bars are open, stores are open, stores are open, everything is open, but everybody's also encouraged to, you know, keep your distance, keep your cool, don't go out if you're feeling something, don't go near anyone, and if you're elderly, you can go to the store super early, like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then you'll open for the general public later, that kind of stuff, and for the most part, it seems to be working. Obviously, we've had a lot of cases, of a lot of deaths in old folks' homes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but that's pretty much it. A lot of people are sick. I have some friends who have been super sick, of course. Uh, but other than that, I think, I mean, even though it feels like we're doing it totally different from every other country, basically, <laughs> it still feels kind of, the acid's kind of working. Like we had two deaths, I think, or four deaths yesterday. And it's been like under ten every day for for the last couple of months
3: or yeah. couple
2: of weeks. Yeah, I'm and looking at so it. So I right mean, now. It, it's going in the right direction, and it and it's I mean, so it, I I I don't know. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I I I just know that I kind of like it because it it gives us the freedom at least. If you want it, if you want to go out to a bar, you want to drink beer, you can. If you want to go to a store and shop, you can. But take it easy. Don't go in uh, too much. Um, keep your distance and, and be cool about it, you know? And I think that has worked. Like, it, it, it's something that they were super clear about. Like, this is about personal uh, responsibility. It's about, like, take care of your fellow man and be kind to each other. No, don't allow, you know, If you don't need to. And I think, so, So you know, so the streets are empty, stores are kind of empty compared to what they normally are. But, you still can't and if you need to. And I think that that helps. It helps businesses. It helps in general sanity, basically, you know, because you don't have to be isolated. Um, but I think also, like, the Swedish mentality is kind of suited to a situation like this because we're kind of used to being <laughs> distant from each other. We're, <laughs> we're fine with it. You know? Like, you... we were just talking, like, I'm, I'm on a super distant island, like, way outside of Gothenburg right now, and like School. Nobody, you know, like you just say, "Hey," when you're passing each other. That's it. Like, you don't want to be close to people. Like, hey,
0: mm-hmm. um, can, uh, can you dive into that a little bit more? I think, like, uh, from and I and uh, the response that you just gave. Just so you know, I started recording from that, but anything prior to we okay. didn't record. Um, All right. I want. Can you can you d- jump in? Because I think the the mentality part is uh is an important part of the larger equation that we're talking about here and I think in this country um you know a lot, a lot of people kind of don't understand what uh what we say when we say Swedes distance naturally or it's part of the it's part of the culture or part of like uh the foreplay of conversation or maybe the lack thereof in a certain way the decorum's different in a way and I think that um uh, there is a connection between that and an ability to trust a population uh, with something like uh, herd immunity. Uh, can, can you jump into that a little bit too? Yeah,
2: and I, I agree. I mean, it, it's about trust. It's about like, knowing that if, if you have a clear enough uh, message, you know, as the, you know, our, you know, Anthony Fauci, whatever, our Swedish guy, like who is the, the head of, of uh, infectious diseases, super clear about, like, this is what needs to happen if we're going to get through this, you know, and things have changed, obviously, because this is new and unprecedented and all this stuff, but, it, you know, we've come to trust uh, the media and put trust government, to trust the people who who knows best, and um, so it, it, it hasn't been that difficult. I think, you know, it, of course, in the beginning, everybody went out and bought toilet paper and uh, pasta and whatever, and it was kind of crazy. But that was just, you know, like this knee jerk reaction to, to to something. But nowadays, it's like my parents would just, like, they stay at home. They're elderly, that are they their 70s. And to them, of course, they want to meet their grandkids and they want to meet their kids, you know. But we, we go out golfing, which is a perfectly socially distant game. <laughs> Um, but other than that we don't you know we, uh, we use Skype and you know FaceTime and all that stuff. My grandmother is she's ninety nine, she's an old folks home and we and we taught her to use like her iPad that she's never seen. Uh so we can talk to her, you know, and but in general, as you said, like this this kind of distance, it's not that rare for us. I think it's you know, you you stay away I mean sure, I live in the city big city stuff but Welcome is pretty each But other than that, it's, it's very remotely from each other. Like in terms of, you know, person per capita, we're pretty low on the, on the scale. You know, so we like to keep our distance. It's not, you know, it's all it's not all hugs and, you know, getting close to each other. That's not what we do. That's not normal for us. Um, bars and restaurants are, still, you know, you keep your distance, you know, Tables. You don't talk to your neighbors. You don't go out and socialize too much. You keep to yourself. I, I, I really like that. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that I, I love about coming home from, uh, from a tour from, Europe or America or anywhere. You're just like, oh, because you don't have to be social with everyone. You know, if you walk into a coffee shop or a bar or something, you're like, "Give me what I need and then back <laughs> off." Your table. You shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. You, know? you, don't have, you, don't, you don't have to be nice. You've seen this, Alexei. You know? Yeah, and, uh, uh,
0: definitely. Well, so I, uh, I think that um uh, I think that you're you're precisely right. Like there is an element of institutional trust that you see in uh, a country like Sweden that doesn't exist in this con- in this country, and I think that that's fundamentally a part of what makes a country like sweden unique in so many ways whether it's institutional trust informing the ability for the banking system to be very different than our banking system or the institutional trust and combined with good education allowing for all of these like startups like your spotify's and swipes and all of this like uh information all this uh uh, technology startups to really kind of take uh, take the world, and for Sweden to be a great like population for that. Um, in the same way, I can also uh, imagine uh, it, going back to what you were saying, coming home after being in a bus crammed with 20 people, and then being in <laughs> venues where you're on stage in front of a thousand people, right. and then you're able to come home and, you know, have arm's length from everyone's <laughs> got to feel pretty good.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it does. And and it also, yeah, as you said, like, it, it is a different system. Like, we don't really worry about things here. It's not like you go like, oh, what's gonna happen in the next, it's just like, even when it comes to of, of elections and what's going on with the government, it's like. Even even if it turns bad, it's not bad. If it's good, it's fine. You know, everything's very middle of the road. And, You know, like you and we talked about this, but there's a Swedish word called "lagom," which is it's there's no direct translation in any other language, but it means kind of middle of the road, where everything is just right. It's not bad, it's not good, it's just right. And I think, and I as much as I hate that kind of middle-of-the-road mentality in terms of how I live my life, but you think kind of like that, that security and safety that comes from a family where you just kind of wish you know, and, um, and also, yeah, and, and, and keep keeping, you know, you keeping to your family and kind of sticking to your own kind of, you know, little bubble in the world is something that is not very strange, to sweet. So, uh, so this pandemic has, I mean, of course, it has changed a lot of things, but it hasn't shook the other very foundations of who we are, you know, as, as much as it might have done with uh, with people in other countries.
1: Oh, definitely. It has in America to its core and <laughs> turned it upside down. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's It's unbelievable just how crazy it has been over here and it's something i feel like if you i mean it's kind of hard to ignore but if you kind of just zoned out for a few days then you would kind of not realize much was different just because everyone's so in this mentality that well we can just resume life as normal because restaurants are now open and you'll see restaurants with their patios filled and like people in bars and stuff and no one's really social distancing which is why bars just shut down again and i feel like we're just gonna go in this constant loop for a very very long time and i don't i don't know it's interesting to see like sweden never adopt a full lockdown and yet your numbers are down you're doing great and like what what are we doing here yeah you let's know? See, like what, what, what we pile everything up jump back to kind of this um, uh, like the Swedish mentality of keeping a distance and going back to some of your first tours um, to America and seeing kind of the difference in our cultures, um, how Americans interact and greet each other and how Swedes interact and greet each other. Uh, how, how did that go the first time you came over to the States and realized we are just very in your face, mm-hmm. hugging, and all, all about the touching, <laughs> essentially.
3: Yeah,
2: and, and all about, like, deep lesson and, like, like that was, was was hard, <laughs> but, but it was fun, you know, because, you know, we've been fascinated with American culture since we were kids, obviously, so, so getting there was a big deal. Uh, so we try to embrace it, you know, and not you know, try to, you know, be weird about it. We just, okay, cool, bye, you know, oh, tipping, oh, wow, interesting okay. see it in, in a room, you know, you just want to sit in the corner or somewhere and just be yourself. And even that is kind of difficult, you know, and I, I like to just,
0: Eden, uh I encountered uh kind of precisely what you were talking about uh I I was out with some friends and I met a uh a, we met like a friend of their friends uh and I asked this person how they were doing just like reflexively because you don't think about it when part of our like conversational foreplay is not just hello but oh how are you doing? and I got yep. a whole story about how that person's day actually was <laughs> and how, uh, yeah, I I learned a lot of things about that person I was not expecting to, um, yeah, I was not expecting that whole, like, conversation at all and uh, learned my lesson there.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that, but uh Simpson parody of uh, Forrest Young, did you say life story? Well here he we goes. <laughs> you know, and, and it, I, I've actually seen that happen just as you said, like with some of my friends who've been on in America or met Americans where, where someone said, Oh yeah, hey, I did man. Well well, well uh, what you're asking, like uh yeah been a rough morning, you know, What can I say? You know, it's not no, 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 that's not what you do. Like, you're just the whole thing, so, yeah, it's hilarious. And, I, and it's but it's weird, and for us, it's uncomfortable, definitely. We toured with like uh, Six Feet Under and Cannibal Corpse, our two first tours in 95 and 96. They were very social, very, very American for us, and we couldn't deal with it. We were just trying, trying to understand how. how communicate properly and try to be uh you know like nice to them and just you know try to be normal but it, it was tough like
0: we had to practice what have you what have you been drinking uh what are those 50 beers that you brought up yes. the stairs I brought um
2: it's cider and uh well actually mostly and some oo as well um, so the, the, the weird part, if we're going to, you know, transition into beers, um, the cool part about the pandemic now is that, not cool, but uh, a cool side effect is that the bars or the, the breweries cannot really sell to bars because bars are not closed, but they don't sell as much, obviously. Um, so then they sell directly to logic which is our liquor store, but it's a, a state loan business that you know where every beer goes through and it ha- you have to go there and, yeah they control everything um but like you can still sell beers that are low alcohol which is 3.5 alcohol ABV. and if you do that you can sell directly to a customer you can just like um get it to you can sell it off the directly from brewery, which is my preferred way of buying beers you know when i am in america so now they can actually do that, which is fantastic, and, um, and it's pretty cheap. And you can just go to the brewery and just get a big case beer and get it the hell out of there. And that has never been possible before. This it, it only happened the last year in Sweden at all. So it kind of feels a little bit like you know the cool American beer culture that we get a, a little glimpse of here, and I love it. So. Uh, Every Friday, they just open for a few hours every Friday. That's it. But you go there and you buy directly from the brewery, and it's it's glorious. And, uh, <laughs> so, so that's what I've been drinking. So they do, like, they they have their staples, like Gibigi e- 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 Beer Week. Do you remember that, Alexi? Like, with one of the greatest beers that Diggers ever made.
0: Yes, like, I, I remember e- that beer very can. fondly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and it's the highest rated beer of all time from Sweden. Uh, so now they've made, like, a 3.5 version of that, and it just came out this Friday, and, and there was like a line that went around the entire building of the brewery, and everybody was there like standing in the rain going like, I need a couple of cans, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's super cool, and it's it's become a thing, you know, and it, it, it's really, really sweet, like they're just selling t-shirts, and, and it, it's totally like a, a proper tap room, um in America, and that's what I miss the most about it. Being here. Like, I love tap rooms in America. I love that beer culture. It's my absolute favorite. And this is a little, tiny little piece of that, you know, that we can have. Think, and I, I really yeah. like it. So, uh, yeah, so that's what i would be drinking. Also, like, since I don't go to a job, nobody does anymore. And, like, so we're just staying home and, and, uh, and we've kind of joked about, like, what are days anymore? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, my girlfriend works from home, I work from home. Is either Friday or Saturday, so, mm-hmm. so just why not drink the entire time? Like, there's, there's no Monday. Who cares about that? But we don't have to go anywhere. So it's either Friday or Saturday, and we just keep drinking.
3: <laughs> and it's
2: and it's, then it's two point five alcohol ABV yeah. beer. It's uh, it's preferable.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and and I think what you what you mentioned with like lining up and actually buying from the brewery itself, as opposed to uh, buying, you know, through a distributor or from like a third party. It's also just as much as like buying from the merch stand,
1: right? Totally. It's like a, yeah, Yeah. it's it's literally like like, (laughs)
0: you're at their show.
1: Yeah. And and you're, you're feeling like you're actually
2: supporting you because you're buying from the actual people who brew the beer and yeah much as I mean that that's what I love to do as well. Like buying T shirts from the bands, buying records from the bands after the show. And this is yeah, it's they the equivalent of that and I love that. So and we're fortunate to have fantastic breweries in Gothenburg. So it, yeah, it, it, it's um instead of shows we go go to breweries to buy to buy stuff to kind of show our support and um I keep them going, you know. Yeah I, I don't want anything to happen to to these great breweries. So,
1: um... <laughs> yeah. I feel like everyone around the world is probably in that same boat, you know? Um, I mean, over here we're yeah. watching yeah. a lot of restaurants close down and, um, there was really nothing yeah. we could do for a lot of them because if they're not, if they're not open and they're not serving food, how do you support them? But the good thing with breweries is you can still support them because a lot of them can still make beer and sell it. Like you were saying, um, just out of their, directly from where they brew or to grocery stores still so that's really nice yeah Yeah. i i think it's also forced uh i know
0: i imagine it's the same case in uh in sweden uh but i know for my friends in denmark and over here it's definitely pushed a lot of breweries towards package and towards specifically cans and towards just being a little bit more consumer friendly with uh with how they're selling their. Uh, selling their beer and the vessels they're putting it in as well
2: yeah for sure it has to be more like easy to carry and uh, easy to get in and carry out that kind of stuff absolutely and i and it seems to be working out even though they they need to be working right they work even harder now like to to you know to get beers out because yeah you you need to can and bottle instead of uh, putting it in um in cakes, you know, which is easier. So, yeah, it, it, of course it's rough, but at the same time, like, they need to stay afloat as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm,
2: I'm glad it seems like, because I, I follow the beer news, you know, in, in the city and, and in Sweden, and it seems to be, like, everybody's doing okay. Because there was a time, actually, where just the was just a uh, straight run again. uh company. They, they refused to take any local beers because they figured, like, we're not going to cut down on workforce, so we won't have any staff to actually you know, take care of all the, the local breweries from Sweden. And all the local breweries of course protested and, you know, put out petitions and all that stuff and eventually actually they said, okay, fuck it. We're gonna allow it and then now actually a lot of bars in Gothenburg or elsewhere as well are only doing local beers. So if you go to like one of my favorite places, Hot that you know actually like they only serve local beers, like only local beers, nothing else, like not even a business or duel or anything like that. It's just local stuff just to support the breweries uh, from the area. I love that. It's super cool. Like, And even like the Stivalogs actually do that as well. Like they, they promote the local stuff because they know that these, uh, these guys need to
1: survive too. Yeah. I mean, do you um, find yourself gravitating more towards um... – those local breweries just to support them because they are local or do you find you support them because they make a certain style that you're a huge fan of, or is there a style that you traditionally lean towards or where, where are your kind of tastes and what you drink? What do you, where do you lean on?
2: Well, I, I, I... I drink a lot of beer. <laughs> so I try a lot, but I I do lean towards local stuff just because it's so good, actually. And I and I and I have had the luxury, of course, to travel a lot and and drink in America, drink in South America, Europe, everywhere. And I found that some of the absolute best breweries like or at least up there with some of the best brewers, are the ones that are here, and they are doing super exciting stuff. Uh, so it's easy to just stick to the beers that are made just here in Gothenburg and you'd be happy, you know sure there aren't any Belgian triples being made here or but you get good, you know in terms of stouts, there are some amazing brewers that do that like all in we have incredible IPAs a lot of um, uh, porters uh, good like traditional lagers and German beers as well, so it's like I really don't want for anything else but course, I do try, uh, and we have, you know, good imports, so I can get pretty much whatever I want. Uh, and I do order a lot of beer from from, from Belgium, just to get like good triples and uh, um, and, and interesting beers that I that, that just don't get here. But other than that, it's I do. I mean, if I go out, I I will drink. If I drink beer from tap, uh, beer at bars in Gothenburg, I'll always
0: drink. That totally i think you you made a really interesting point uh in, in so far as the local producers uh in Gothenburg are taking a lot of cues from what happens in the us in creating these like oh for sure yeah and and i mean i think you see that uh ac- i wouldn't argue across the board entirely but you know you do see that quite a bit happen in other aspects of like uh, Swedish soft uh, the influence of America in Swedish soft culture in a lot of ways and in popular culture and I think that beer is an interesting example uh, of that because in in a way you're producing the beers that you can't get fresh from the U.S. I mean, there's no sustainability in loading up an airplane full of hazy beer from Massachusetts and flying it to Sweden. That's just ridiculously expensive. People do it in Denmark, but it's a total novelty. And so you have producers ma- uh, like Stegbergets and Oo uh, and others producing these styles of beer because that's what people want one because they're really in tune with what's happening here and two you're so close to the rest of europe that you can private order uh whatever you want from germany or from belgium uh which is a distinct difference from what we have here where we are in the we're in the inverse position in a certain way where we for a long time our beer culture was revolving around emulation of styles from all over the world mm-hmm. precisely because we couldn't get those styles of beer uh any uh, uh nope. fresh or uh in in any way shape or form in some cases so nope. i think that's a, a really really interesting uh thing and we've seen that same like kind of first wave second wave third wave we talk uh-huh. a lot about i think we talk about a, incessantly on this show when it comes <laughs> to, uh, beer and music in, in a lot of ways, as far as like how influence yeah. kind of comes and goes and how things get picked up
1: and then reinterpreted. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think sure. that, and, but that's, that's the cool part. Like music is, is easily transferable,
2: right? You can just listen to, you just, you know, you hear the albums that like, coming out and, and that's easy, but beers, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, what do you call it? Like it's supposed to be fresh. It cannot be enjoyed if it's not fresh. Uh, So as you said, I mean, I remember we started drinking like craft beer in America in 2004. That's when I first like had my, you know, epiphany of like Sierra Nevada pale ale and and that kind of stuff where I was like, holy shit, there's more to beer than just the cheapest, shittiest thing that I can get from the local Chinese restaurant that is, you know, (laughs) bucks. <laughs> um, and it changed my world kind of. And then I got home and it's like, yeah, there's nothing like that in here. And then you could actually find like a, an American IPA or I think the pay layer and it was ten dollars or twenty or fifteen dollars something like that, which was ridiculous at the time. And then it was not fresh and it tastes like shit. But I didn't know at the time. I was like just happy to see it. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think part of like why uh, there's kind of not revolution but why uh, craft beer has grown here is that the brewer is actually doing it it's not enough to have it distributed over here because it's not good enough you know if it's been in a, a bottle for three months in a in a ship somewhere and it's been warm and it's been bright and it's been all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, it it changes totally so and and i I, I am fortunate enough to to know because I can see the difference because I've tried it at the brewery and I've tried it, you know, seven months later at a shitty bar. So uh, so I think once the brewers started like understanding how to brew stuff here and make it fresh and deliver it fresh, and they even had a campaign where it's like, hey, you should drink this fresh. Just like, this is what it is. Like, this is how the beer should be enjoyed. And I think people started, when they started getting that, that's when the, the whole thing kind of took off in a, in a new way, and I'm I'm so happy about that. It's amazing, um, but it it it, it and it, it of course it it comes from a, from an influence, and i and that's what we are like. Sweden is very much uh, a country that uh, tries to emulate a lot of things from other countries, just to I don't know, try to adapt. And we, we look at a lot of other countries. We're not that like, oh, we don't do that. We want to do that. We want to try that
1: yeah I That's think exciting. yeah I think I was kind of gonna touch on that a little bit. I wanted to ask, um so for me, I feel like you guys were kind of this pioneer one of the pioneering bands in what is now known as the Gothenburg metal movement, right um, however, was there an American influence that kind of started that, maybe if not for you you guys specifically, but being friends with, you know, the Inflames guys and the At The Gates guys, you all kind of came up around the same time. Was there an American influence that started this, I would call it a genre of metal at this point. Um, what? How heavy was the American influence in that sound? And how did you take that influence and adapt it into this very unique style? Of course it was a big...
2: American influence. I mean, some of the bands that that, that were super important to us were American, um, but there were also a lot of European bands at the same time. So it's a kind of like a mix, you know. But, hey, at the time it was kind of hard to get music. It was hard to. We had a record store that that would you know import albums and, and get some of the good stuff that, that we wanted. But for us, of course, like Death and Atheist, Orbit Angel. Autopsy, um, Obituary, those bands were, you know, incredibly important to us. Like, that's, that was American death and we loved it, you know. Um, and then, we loved German Thrash and Creator and Destruction and Sodom and those bands as well, but without the American influence and even like those underground bands that we loved at the time, Syndrome and Dr. Schwenker and, uh, and of course, Executioner before Obituary, those were Super, super important. And that the way that, you know, the sound and the, and the coming out of like uh, the studios that we loved and the record cover artists that we loved, all that kind of stuff was super, super important to us. And uh, so, of course, America was a huge influence. And, and the way that, I, that we, we started, like Thomas from At the Gates, he's like two years older, and he started a fan scene, so I had some contacts with American writers, so he could get like demos and EPs and stuff like that from American bands. We started listening to that early. So we got like stuff from Motive C and and stuff like that that we loved. And so that, of course, became you know part of the vocabulary and part of the you know the kind of underground culture that that we gravitated towards. So when we started writing music, that was part of it, of course. Like, um, we wanted to combine that brutality and that insanity that we loved about American music with melodies and intensity of German thrash and, and of course, like a lot of Swedish bands that we loved, you know, from back in the day. And so it, it, it was, you know, something that makes... But we had not total access, but we had access to, to a lot of... Of course, you know, that limited access that you had back in this was the late 80s um, but it was so exciting. You know, it was even more exciting to listen to a band from America than it was to listen to something from Germany because it was further away. And it was, you know, exotic. You know? <laughs> In a way, mm-hmm. to listen to something from, like, the West Coast, of America, oh, so it was like, holy shit. It was forbidden, and, you know, bands like that, like, super thrashy bands. Incredible. So um, we didn't think, you know, that this kind of music would, like that big, you know, we didn't realize how how kind of worldwide it was. Like, so it was great to, at one point, actually, like, I remember feeling like you kind of know, like, not all the bands, but most of the bands around right now, and this was like in 87, 88 or something like that. I know, like, most of the death metal bands around, at least the ones that have released an album, you can kind of check, like, you know, mail order catalogs and stuff like that, and they were short, because it was only... And none of them had released like their second album. I think like Death had was probably like the the first Death Metal band to have like a second album out. (laughs) I remember (laughs) laughing at that and going like shit, like so this is gonna work? Like this They made it
0: Let's take this uh, this notion that Sam was inferencing that is like melodic death metal. I think it, there's this thing that people that write about music, they like to do is they like to put things in neat little boxes so that they can organize them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> and I think that um, when that happens... Um, a lot of the individuality of the people involved in the groups and in the bands um, gets lost for the sake of convenience for uh, a writer or for, uh, someone who's trying to put together like a different narrative. Uh, that's like my, that's my yeah, personal sure. critique of like the tree of metal and stuff, uh-huh. uh, not the tree of metal, but the, the, that's my critique of that in some way. It, it, it's just an interesting thing. So when, okay. So yeah. when you hear something like that and you think back to, uh, growing up, uh, outside of Gothenburg and the people around you, um, like, do these things seem like totally removed from each other in every way? I mean, it's hard to... It's also challenging to um, impose our views now on the past as well. Mm-hmm. But um, can you entertain sure. that?
2: Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I guess. And, it, and, of course, this is just my
0: perspective.
2: But, um, but at the same time, like... like we, And this, of course, is in hindsight. Like, we look back and at what we appreciated at the time. But whenever we get nostalgic, you know, when we, uh, you know, with some of the guys from the band or, you know, friends who have been around for us long or in other bands, we talk about that period when we discovered new music and what what it meant to us and how how it influenced us. And, And, of course, you know, things... Are not, you know, they, they're not totally accurate because it's just memories and it's just like emotions that, that you have back to the day. And of course, it didn't, um, for instance, like it it influenced me a lot, but I'm just writing lyrics, you know. And it influenced like Thomas Lindbergh a lot, but he's just writing lyrics for At the Gate. So it's different for like Anderson Jonas who like, wrote the songs for At the Gate, so it's different for Nick the Martin who wrote the songs for Dutch um, but it was always in the conversation. It was always in the, like, how you communicate about music. Like, hey, you play this kind of rhythm. We always had a name that was associated to the band, you know, that we liked. And more often than not, it was an American band. You know? um, so, I think it, it, it kind of, yeah, it permeated and it was part of, like, the, the way that we spoke about music. And, um,
0: So uh, moving into uh, a different phase of the, of the band uh, it, talking about an album that turned 20 years old uh, called Haven, I think it was around the time, it okay. was maybe not long after that album came out uh, that I saw you guys for the first time. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, I think it was the, that like Nile Strat, Nile Napalm Death Tour uh, that you guys did. Oh, where...
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our second, second tour in America, yeah.
0: And the first one, that was, was that, that like sentence plus everyone from Sweden tour?
2: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, after think it's, no, no, it seems the sentence, of, um, gives us and kids would engage. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was, so that was the first one. Interesting. Um, yep. yeah. yeah, so when, when you started coming over to, I mean, before that, I think also going to Japan was a big thing for, for you guys as well. Um, because, uh, proje- uh pro- if I recall correctly, projector had done really well there. And that was probably one of your first times going very far away from, uh, from Europe to tour. Is that,
1: yeah. am I on base with that? That's so funny because it feels yeah, like yeah. such a spinal tap thing.
0: I'm sorry. That's
1: such a spinal tap thing. <laughs> that's hilarious anyways
0: no but uh but I, yeah. I i mean i think um yeah
1: sam fuck you i lost I'm track <laughs> yeah, that, i just immediately went to spinal tap i was like their they're first big <laughs> they got big in japan
0: no uh no but okay so tell us about getting big in like japan how? i think there's a story here <laughs> Well, well, you, you had, uh, I, I think I read somewhere that, uh, was it Projector had the highest rating that Burn Magazine had ever put out for a metal album?
2: Actually, no, it was uh, The Gallery.
0: The Gallery, that, uh, But okay.
2: the first time we ever, yeah, but the first time we got to Japan was 2000, uh, right oh, actually, no, it was, yeah, right after Haven, uh, before Projector, and uh yeah, so 99 was probably the first time we were in Japan. But, uh, but they expected us to, to do, like, gallery and all of that. Stuff. But we were in a period right then where we didn't want to do that at all. And we were in a totally different place, like, going into, like, a recording of a new album and wanting to do something totally different. It was not okay with the Japanese people at all. It was pretty weird. They were expecting us to do an album that they really liked, and we didn't play a single song from it. <laughs> much to, to to our promoter's chagrin, uh, it was like Japanese people very disappointed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you disappointed. And we
2: had to work. <laughs> we had to work for, for each. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, for years, we had to kind of work up to to getting recognized and, and properly, uh, you know, appreciated it again. It was weird.
1: Did you do? It was proper, a fun experience. Did you do a proper tour of replaying the album for them, or did you just say, "Yeah, fuck it, we're just." It's not going to
2: happen. Yeah, Uh, I mean, it it was not a full-on, you know, uh, apology, but we made good. I think we made made up with them, and they're they're fine with us now. Even though we haven't been there in five years, so but yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it took a while. It really did, like they were. A lot of people were disappointed, and I think there's a point of pride there where like, oh, don't you understand how much we love this album? And of course, we didn't, (laughs) and uh, Mm -hmm. just went. it. It was crazy. That's, and and but it, it kind of goes with uh, kind of goes to show like how how different audiences are you know you have an idea of what you want to do but then you don't have no idea where, how it's going to get received totally uh, and and before you start touring in a serious manner uh, you're still living in a in a bubble you know at home you're just in your host room and you're like thinking that people are just going to love whatever you do or if they you know they're going to hate it but who cares but like, just Let's just go, you
3: know. Yeah.
2: Um, and I think we were very full of ourselves for for a while and uh it, had, and it didn't really work in Japan at least. But it worked in Europe. People we were happy about
1: that's, that. I mean that's good at least. You know? You hit one demographic. Um, do you Yeah. 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 <laughs> do you feel like the fans in general and the band's general um, appreciation for so let's look at your set list. Do you feel like what the band likes to play live or what the fans want to hear live? Or is, do you feel like there's some, maybe a little disconnect there? And do you lean towards what the fans want to hear more? Or do you lean more towards what the band would want to play?
2: I think we lean more towards what we want to play, but, um, and of course there's no way we can ever, well, we have, what is it? 11 albums, 12 albums, um, uh, so everybody wants to hear different things, um, and and of course, you know, the idea is to try to to make everyone happy and make you know play the songs that we love, but also the stuff that people want to hear. But sometimes people want just want to hear the same thing that they have heard before. So you want to keep it interesting too, you know, play songs that maybe they haven't heard but they don't know they like yet. Mm -hmm. that kind of thing so you want to you want to surprise you want to play you know I'd love to play some old songs that we haven't played ever before that kind of stuff it's exciting you know when we pull out an old song and people go like holy fuck I haven't seen this ever that kind of thing and I want to play new songs you know that they haven't heard um, that we perhaps don't really know how to do yet you know or we don't know if it's going to work out in the live setting yet. You know, we, we always like the first tour to, you know, we try out the new songs from a new album and see what sticks, you know, or what feels right and what we can pull off properly. But of course, like, producing a set list and putting something, like something together every tour is, is a nightmare. Hmm. And sometimes we go to, for convenience, which is boring, but it's convenient. And then uh, sometimes we go for oh let's try something else and more often than not we realize that well maybe we chose poorly and then we go back to what's convenient again now we really don't want to do that but sometimes we do anyway so it's 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 tough I mean we never made I mean I, I think the audience is there with us
0: Does, so the recognition and understanding of what does well live for you, whether it's technical or whether it's, you understand that certain types of songs may do well with people, does that ever, um, come with you into the studio or has it over time kind of informed anything to do with, uh, songwriting or musical sensibilities or, uh, do you feel as though you're able to successfully just leave that at the doorstep before you uh, write music?
2: I think it's, uh, I mean, not unintentional, but kind of subconscious. Like it, it's just there in the back of your mind. Like how is this going to work in a live setting? Not how it's going to work, but how how we're going to play it. You know, because we, we write in the studio and we don't really rehearse stuff beforehand, but I always kind of sit at home and go through the song and sing it.
0: I like we what, have to maintain some some level level of integrity. Of, of, of yeah, of, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Like so, when you're when we're talking, I, I wanna I I wanna know a little bit more about when you're talking about like the getting back into like what you were talking about with uh, the music eliciting a specific feeling mm-hmm. or going after some kind of feeling, uh, whether it's. Uh, what the music elicits inside of you, or whether it's the cloud that the music puts above you mm-hmm. um what are some of those things that uh get you excited when you're uh when you're writing lyrics or when you're listening to the music what kind of what vibes with you uh when it comes to the music that is dark tranquility well, right
2: now I think like this like the last couple of years. Um, especially now, like we've been writing this new album of ours that, uh, for the last almost like a year and a half uh, or more, and and then you start thinking, like, what is it that we want to convey? What is it that we want to talk about? What is it that we want an audience to understand about us? You know, what what is it that, that matters? What is it that makes us any more special than any other band or whatever, you know? Just we get old, <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time, and you start questioning yourself. And I think, you know, and that, that's a good thing, but it's also, of course, uh, um, uh, something that, that blocks your creativity uh, uh, many times. Uh, but right now, I think that we just want to compare how we feel like, what, what's going on with the world, what's going on with like where we are right now, how, how, how do we process it, how can we deal with it. Um, what are the kind of different ways that um, we uh, different kind of techniques that we use to to cope with with reality and I've always been fascinated with how how people think and react towards what's going on in the world if it's politics or if it's the environment if it's the personal relationship if it's parenthood or if it's You know, personal relationship. What drives us? What is it? What's important? Uh, What makes us do the things that we do? What is it that that kind of steers us in the wrong direction or the right direction? Um, And that's even more important right now, like with the world being in turmoil, uh, it's kind of easy to kind of get a lot of inspiration from that. Uh, And I think even though we started writing this album way before the pandemic hit, it has kind of informed the way that we've written and how we
3: changed some of the songs into something more, not
2: profound, but something more meaningful, at least, like something that we felt was more, um, not, because we didn't think about going out on stage and going, come on, let me see your hands. That's nothing. that, That was far from our minds when we were writing because we wanted to do something that um, felt like a release that felt like a, a kind of like a safe haven from all that madness and the studio certainly had been that um, just going to the studio and just in, in being so talking to the music for for days and weeks on end without kind of seeing anyone talking about it so has really helped like, even though it not only that kind of crippling, in a way, because you're so distant from everyone else. But it's just been part of it, and uh, that has helped uh, the creativity a lot. And uh, hopefully, that shows in the album, like uh, how we've been feeling during this time. And, um, and, uh, and I think it's something that lyrically has always been there. Has been there for the last ten years or so, but it's been kind of more crystallized and more focused run because of what's going on and even though I haven't changed many lyrics since this hit but it, it still has for some And um, there's a new meaning to it now when I when I uh, when I listen to the apple so it's it has it's kind of
0: like a new way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the pandemic is almost like a new transparency over the slide <laughs> on the projector in a way
2: hey-ho, <laughs> bringing it back
0: to 99. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, tried, actually, I tried yeah, to Gothenburg it
2: a little bit, the, yeah. You do, what you do well, my friend.
3: No, it, yeah,
2: it, actually, I mean, um, we've been kind of laughing about it. Some of the song, song titles are kind of like, eerily uh <laughs> accurate and, um, <laughs> what do you say, like better. Yeah, so it, it makes even more sense now than it did when it was written in a way but uh, but yeah so it's not a it's it's always been like that I think we've always written songs about being outside of either looking in you know being the observer and not being part of something being you know someone who uh, tries to understand the world and try to kind of like if I put words to it if I put notes to it if we put a like an emotion to it, maybe we can understand it better. You know, It's a, it's a way of like teething the, the stuff you don't really understand or, or get. Uh, and, uh, and it becomes increasingly more, uh, more, increasingly harder to understand the world as you get older and afterwards get bigger. So uh, this is, it's a great way to, to deal with it. In my, or at least it's has it been Best and the only way that I, I
1: know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So, talking about the, the, yeah, the. Yeah, yeah. Other than, that's, I feel like that's most people's alternative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a release for sure. Music. I mean, I I dabble in music, but not, you know, anywhere near where you're at. But, you know, it's always, even just picking up the guitar and playing for a little while, it's definitely a. It's a cathartic yeah. experience, and it gets you out of everything that's really going on and just puts you in that that little mindset for a little bit, and um, it's kind of cool hearing, like, you wrote something before all this happened. Granted, there was still a lot of shit going on in the world when you were writing it, but not nearly as much now, but it's got to feel very, like, I don't know, almost gratifying to know like what you wrote before everything happened. Feels like it's yeah, even
2: because I, I, I think the the problems were always there. Uh but the pandemic pandemic put a like a spotlight on it. Like these are the problems that like mm-hmm. now we have to really properly face them because before we didn't care much, you know, and now we really have to. And I think uh so so the stuff that I wrote about are or are issues that now are coming to the forefront and are even more important than,
1: than they were before. Yeah. No, I like that. You know, it's something I always talk to a lot of my friends who don't listen to metal, um, especially, like, if you take mainstream metal out of the picture and you look at more underground, and I don't even want to call it underground, but just the less, not the Vakken headliner. We'll put it that way. If you look at those <laughs> bands um, that aren't the Wacken headliners, these bands are writing lyrics that are yeah. meaningful and there's, there's substance behind it and the music to back it up. Like there's this whole symbiotic connection between the lyrics and the music. And I feel like a lot of people get trapped in the aggressiveness of metal and the, the lyrics get lost either because the music's too aggressive or the flip side is someone's growling mm-hmm. at them. And yeah. it's just, I, I, I try and, find a way to express without like forcing metal down people's throats, um, express that there's a lot of meaning to it. Do you find, so when you started singing in the band, there were some clean vocals mixed with the growls. Right. And then it seems as time went on, especially looking into like, um, like projector and uh, into Haven, and then especially into damage done, it just went all growls. Did you feel like there was almost a disconnect with some of the fans because there were there was more growls and more uh, screaming and they couldn't totally connect with the lyrics, or did you find that it was more right direction for the band?
2: It was more about direction, or maybe what what the music was about, like when. When we did Projector, it was about kind of getting away from what we were because we were tired of it and we didn't feel comfortable with it because all of a sudden everybody started talking about this Gothenburg sound that we had no idea what it was. <laughs> and
3: then
2: we were pigeonholed into something that we were not comfortable with at the time. So we wanted to do something different. Um, Haven became something where we you know, found our way in a, in a uh, way into something that was kind of like a mix between what was Projector and then and then we down we were like, yeah, we, we want to go out to where we these other songs that We want to play. Um, we want to do something more intense and uh, and aggressive because that's what we want to do when we go out on tour. Um, and then things kind of change after that, but we can like, let's, let's see how we can kind of integrate it better, you know. And for me, it, it's all about like if the song needs something else, then that's what we do. You know, and I love singing, but. I, so we love screaming mm-hmm. so like it's just what the song needs and what feels right at the time you know um, depending on what, what kind of mood we're in when we start writing an album um, so I don't want to like and I don't want to do it just because of it because of that, oh this is something that is more accessible to people we're mm-hmm. still playing Death Metal like, I, I we don't i I'd rather have like a, a very very catchy like accessible Death metal song, than a super hard death metal song with a mean chorus that that will get you moving. You know that that just feels totally like the wrong direction for for, for this kind of music in a way. Like I don't I don't mm-hmm. like that. But if we, when we do it in a way that it, that that I think it benefits the song, and it benefits the lyrics, mm-hmm. and benefits the mood of the song, that I'm all for it. So it has changed over the years just how, how we do it and how, but, but it's all based on like, the music and the, the stuff that we write beforehand and then I come in and try to kind of make sense of music and then we work around that and see, see what fits, you know, and, and to make the most, kind of
1: make the most out of a song, you know, and, and, make, mm-hmm. and make sure everything has a, like kind of impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So then I guess the second part to that then would be, do you get approached by fans in any way who, uh, uh, let's just take, because clean singing is more accessible for a lot of people and there is some of that in the music that you've written. Um, Do you get approached by fans who say they feel more connected to uh, the clean vocals as opposed to the harsh vocals? Or is that something that um, just because your fan base is uh, so loyal and rabid to what you guys do is that not really a thing
2: yeah it, it hasn't really been a thing like of course lots of people go like oh I like that song just because it's different from what you do meaning they are not really big fans but they like one or two songs you know and that's fine you know but but if there are fans that maybe they usually like everything or you know they have their favorites but My experience that that could have been. and if it were the case where people prefer one or the other then that would be weird because then we had to <laughs> somehow kind of make decisions based on that but we, we really don't so uh, we don't have to worry about that we just do it if we feel like it and if it
1: feels good for the album yeah. totally
0: does uh, having your own studio um, where you can work yeah kind of without with you can let in whatever you'd like or you can keep out whatever you'd want to you'd like to keep out um does that how does that play into the dynamics of uh of all these things that we're kind of talking about having uh, johan and chris uh in the band um makes this a little bit more of an endeavor that's not just Gothenburg as well too um uh, sure. how, how did they fit into the uh the writing process and into this these like uh bigger like kind of sessions where you're sitting down and you're kind of working through all of the songs how uh how were how were they involved if they were involved and how did that uh, kind of impact the songs? Can can we hear them in some way?
2: Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean,
0: um, Chris
2: has been living in New York, so that was tough. So he he came in kind of late, and he's he's been more when it comes to, he's been more involved when it comes to leads and stuff like that. Whereas Johan, it's he lives in Malmo, which is kind of close, so he's been in Gothenburg a lot. You know, he, we lived, lived in Gothenburg for months just to 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 write. And and also do all the, the basic kind of uh, rhythm guitar work because most of the songs were written just on keyboard and and kind of fake guitar like piano like midi guitar and then he had to kind of translate that and, and make uh, like something you know riffable from it and uh, so you can definitely hear to work and. Uh, then you can hear like his solo work and then with Chris's solo work as well, like how they complement each other and how they work differently, but they have very similar kind of melodic sense. And also they are so highly super skilled and they are such great guitar players that so we had to kind of hold them back a little bit mm-hmm. because uh, it has to somehow fit into what you know, Dr. Quilly is about and not just be a shred fest which is easy if you just let them run <laughs> free. Anyway, <laughs> but it was fascinating to, to see how they kind of interpret the material and kind of listen to the song and kind of like, oh, this is what is fitting and what's appropriate here and what feels great. And uh, and I love that, how that came to be. So it's definitely like, um, it started out as songs that Martin and Anders wrote. And then Johan came in and wrote some songs as well. And then like, everybody had their kind of take on it. We went from there. So it's, it's you can definitely hear the the influence from, from these other guys the album. But uh, I think
1: it's all the better for it. Sick. Um jumping back to you guys having some now you have studio space, but back in the early days obviously you were in uh, other studio spaces paying for the time in those spaces and specifically during Haven you were recording at the same studio that In Flames was recording Clayman around the same time frame. Um, was there yeah, one more time?
2: Yeah, oh that yeah that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so was there uh any kind of influence on on either band's parts on what they were writing because the other band had been there at the same time or um was there just no I I feel like because you all were really close in the same proximity in city, there had to be some kind of influence on each other. Was there some kind of feeling there between you guys? Which, at the time, I don't
2: think so that much. I mean, of course, we, we've always kind of rehearsed at the take time, we all know each other, we all kind of hang out in the same circles and with each other and all that. Um, but at, this was in 2000, 2001, stuff like that. 2000 yeah and and they had recorded the album and they just built the studio where Black Trade Notes from. the studio they were part with so they, I think they just finished their album then we went in to do hours and I think they were kind of sick of being there so we didn't really meet during that time and I don't know how much Yeah, I don't know how much like uh, may, maybe part of the production because it's mixed by Trade Notes and- he learned something that he put into Ivan. but he was I, I remember Fritig being really kind of burned out when, when we did that album and we recorded most of it in Amsterdam's studio because he ran like part of the Fritig's the 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 studio um, at the time so I think we recorded most of it ourselves and then we had it mixed. It I don't remember it was, yeah, it was a long time ago but I mm-hmm. honestly I don't think
0: Uh, Do you think landmarks like 20 years of Haven, do you think that these like uh, arbitrary chronological sort of factoids are important things Um, or do you see things as more what we're doing now is more important?
1: One of the people who falls into the camp of if it's a band I really like. Uh and like I'm a bit younger, so like um when Lama God had the 15 year anniversary of Ashes of the Wake, uh, I was just like "Yeah, awesome, yes, and B, I wanna they were doing so like a couple shows where they were playing not the whole album, but a lot of them, a lot of the songs on that album, and I was like,
3: Yeah,
1: I need to be there. Absolutely need yeah. to be there, you know? And I think part of it is um recognizing that at least for them, that was obviously their their landmark album that broke them to the next level, so to speak. And I think they recognize sure. it on a level that maybe we don't like this album as much and we don't want to boast it for ourselves, but more holy shit, the fans really like this, and um, we should do it for them. And I think like, that's kind of a cool mindset for them, but I also get where you're coming from. It is. Yeah, you don't want to boast something without like the proper feeling of it being backed up by the fan response, too. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm conflicted about it. I, as much as I, I would love, I'd like to do it,
2: but at the same time, like if I were going to go out on a tour for a week, many weeks, you know, and a month, like, we want to play new stuff and not play old stuff. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if we're, you know, if we're done touring for an album, like we've done all the, all the territories, we've done all the, the traveling, and maybe, you know, if we want to go out again, and we, we, we don't feel inspired to start writing a new album, maybe we do that. you <laughs> know, That kind of thing. It's kind of like something to do be in between when you're done doing the, the real stuff. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I do... I totally I love when bands do it, so I go out and I, do I get to see that old album that I love. You know, I was going to go to Stockholm a couple of weeks from now, which won't happen. Where can the I going to play Ancient Dreams, and mm-hmm. you know, which is my favorite album. So fucking fantastic, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm totally down with that. But for us, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm not comfortable. with yeah. I, I think you, uh, Mikel, you and I were at a show a little bit like this when uh, Colts of Luna did Somewhere Along the Highway. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh Yeah, man. That was awesome. So I, I, <laughs> yeah. I think. I love <laughs> uh, But But I think that for some people, the. This like that. Okay, so I want to take Sam's "Ashes of the Wake" uh, example.
1: But but we can so, talk about cult of. No no that's, we'll, that's we'll get there. there. We'll get there. <laughs> no no no. But okay, so there's two different
0: things here though. So with the "Ashes of the Wake," I fucking saw them on like 15 tours. On they were on every bill <laughs> when that album came out. And so if you lived Yay. in the United States and liked extreme music, you saw Lamb of God at least 10 times. Right. Uh, from 2004 yeah. to 2006 involuntarily uh-huh. um, now with something <laughs> like, now, <laughs> now with something like somewhere along the highway uh, like for me personally I was a little bit later on Cult of Luna I didn't have an opportunity to see them yeah. uh, when that album yeah. came out and so, really did so. Mm-hmm. and yeah and they yeah like playing in the US forget about it um, so yeah. I think that seeing something like that was actually a cool opportunity to experience something for the first time that, uh, had I had an opportunity then I may have taken advantage of, but uh, that wasn't the case. And so I think for some people, uh, to have that exposure, that's like the, the positive of, uh, not necessarily rebooting things, but of allowing another opportunity to experience something.
1: Totally, and I'm putting my ballot in for a fifteen-year, uh, a fifteen-year uh, show. Just so, uh, just you know, fifteen. It can years be in of, Stockholm. I'll buy the ticket to oh, go to somewhere Stockholm. along the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to hear that album in full. <laughs> well, well, they did ten
0: years of fifty of somewhere along the highway for longer than a year, so it well, was you know, technically, then, then my years odds
1: so. are, are technically in my favor. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's. The, I I feel like. Um, for a lot of bands, there's a place and time for it, and they'll feel it. And when it feels right, yeah. And if it feels right for you guys, then I'm sure you'll do it. But if it doesn't feel right, why do it? Yeah.
2: No, exactly. It has to be done right, and like if it's for like a perfect festival or a perfect setting, or if you have a, like you're doing a perfect tour where you feel like oh, this is going to be cool if we do it, then absolutely. But more than not just want to go out and promote this new album and play some old songs and all that stuff, and so we don't have the time to kind of like dig into it and start learning old stuff that we haven't played it forever, that kind of
1: thing. Totally.
2: Well, and sometimes you you don't really know the reward of it. Like you know the risk and you know the, all the work that goes into it, but you don't really know if it's going to work. people really want to hear it. You know, and I think we we have the kind of fans all of us that go like, ah, oh, at least, we, you know, I want to hear one or two songs and we very rarely hear that, you know, I want to hear the entire bad album. I want to hear this now that, it's like, no, it's like, You know, it have been cool. It's been cool to have that still, with us on the, the whole entire journey and they want to hear the new stuff as much as they want to hear the old stuff. Um, So,
1: it is, it, it's, that's why we, we feel like maybe we don't need to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. It, it's good to have a fan base, too, that's always looking forward to the next thing. And on that note, um, yeah. I know you guys are coming up on a release soon. Um, you kind of want to talk about the new yeah. music and kind of when it'll be released?
2: Yeah, uh, we don't really have a date, but I think it's October somewhere, like late October, I think it's going to be whatever, like last Friday of October, I think it's going to be the, the date. We're looking at, and um, yeah, we just finished like the mixing of the album uh, two weeks ago, and I'm still listening to like the, the masters and stuff about trying to figure out what uh, order of songs we're <laughs> going on the album, what songs to skip and what songs to include. but it, it's going to be called Moment, and uh, yeah, in the end of October, and
3: we're super excited about it. It's, it's been like yeah, long time coming also super excited to as we talked about before, like work with new musicians and like
2: a different kind of lineup. Um, but also people who tr- truly understand what we're about, who've been with us. Like Chris has been we've been touring together, you know, many, many times and he knows us and we know him for twenty years plus Johan has been a fan and also kind of grown up kind of alongside us in in a different way, you know. i having, well, it's been super exciting to, to do something together with people from like a different perspective, but at the same time, the same basic idea has been really, really incredible. So uh, I still have no idea what the album sounds like, because I, I, I don't, I cannot listen to it objectively yet, but uh, I feel very good about it. And I, I can't wait to have it released. It just feels weird to have something out and not go out of tour.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Kind of crazy, but we'll see. We're gonna figure something out. But at least we're gonna do something kind of like a like a, a show and stream it and just just something. You know, but I haven't really decided yet what to do. But something gonna happen. There's going to be video, There's gonna be live show, that kind of stuff. But
0: touring is gonna to have to wait.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Um. So the album title being uh, moment uh is that a lyrical theme or is uh how is that tied into uh what you the the lyrics that you've written for this album
2: Well yeah um initially it initially was about like
0: um and you also alluded to uh being at a point where you're kind of selecting the songs that are going to be a part of the final album um how do you piece that together so say if you're starting with more songs than you intend on putting on the disc um how do you go about Absolutely. Yeah, how do you go about choosing and um in some ways like for me personally actually some of my favorite songs that are dark tranquility songs are songs that ended up on that um uh in retrospect and denial they were actually extra songs that were supposed to be on uh previous albums those songs that collection of songs actually makes a great album on its own but that's a separate conversation <laughs> um uh how uh how do you go about choosing these things and like what are you cho- what do you grasp from them uh in order to put them yeah. together or yeah. is it or is it not lyrical is it musical how, how does it work for you it, it could be anything and it's just like how, how how we
2: feel about it right and i and i said like that that in retrospective now that All those leftover songs that, at the time, we didn't feel right about. And I love some of those songs because they're they are obscure and they are kind of weird in a way, and they were written in a way that just didn't make sense at the time, or they were too different for the album they were intended to be used on. Um, And I think this time around we wrote 15 songs, and now we have to figure out how to make an album out of 12 songs. You know, and then. The other songs will be part of, you know, whatever um, special edition that comes out of the CD, or maybe like a tour edition of the vinyl somewhere down the line, but even though it's easier to just write the song that you want on the album immediately, it also makes sense to, to have a few more that you can kind of like, if it, if it doesn't turn out well, at least we, we can just skip it, you know, um, because sometimes, like, just don't work. You work on it for, for such a long time, but eventually it's like, nah, it's not there, you know. But I think like all these 15 songs are good. There are some songs that I don't feel as strongly about. I think it, it comes down to like personal opinion. Um, so <laughs> we did. Uh, we sent out the album all the 15 songs to, to a couple of friends of ours. We asked them, like, a, what do you feel like? Oh, our crew guys and some of the guys that I trust in the music industry. And all the they were like, "Oh, this is my favorite song as a first video, and this is my favorite song as first track, and these are the songs that I would choose to be, you know, spare songs." And they were all different, so there was no help at all. <laughs> 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 but at the same time, it kind of uh, means that you know, it's all somewhat quality stuff, uh, hopefully,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, So sort, of, sort of like it's choice of like first video is a song that I never want to put on the album like so there you go like the guy I started the band with (laughs) decided a totally different song Um, so that's how different we uh, we feel about stuff sometimes and um, so yeah it's just down to like what we feel is uh, you want to like a sequence songs, you know on an album you want uh, a kind of progression, like uh, it has to go somewhere, then go take it back and then, you know, happen again and uh, you know, the B side of the album has to start out strong then well. so it's uh, all those things come to play and I think we kind of made it, we made a track list now and I, I hope it's going to stay the but it, of course it's hard, it's like everything like, and, and maybe we've made a wrong call but we I think we have to make it uh, we, if we ask everyone else,
3: it just it, it's going
0: to be a mess. Everybody has to do Much like I said. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. I, yeah. I feel uh I feel like we covered a lot of ground here I did. and I'm uh I'm pretty happy with uh with everything we've talked about. Um more importantly, is there anything you wanna talk about? Cause we've been the ones asking the yeah. questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just curious how you guys are uh, surviving over there. Are you both in Chicago, right? Uh,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah.
2: I, uh, how how how's life for you? Like, how how um, how's day to day? How much do you get out? Like, working? Can, can you?
1: What can you do? Well, are you uh, so quarantine? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the, <laughs> the sensible public is quarantining. Um, just cause there's, there's so much more cases here. Um, I, I feel like quarantining is the a socially appropriate thing to do. Um, yeah. I very rarely, if I don't think I've really been to restaurants, even on a patio since all this has happened, I can maybe think of one occasion for one wow. birthday or two but like um yeah it's it's very much a self-isolating situation and it's not a bad thing if you got another person to do it with which uh we're both fortunate for um yeah. but it's just kind of weathering the storm essentially and it it's not a bad thing we're both uh, we both love cooking and it's I wouldn't say it's rekindled our love for cooking, but we've just been doing it more and kind of that's been keeping me sane. I don't know about you, Alexi. Yeah. I I think that
0: I've actually, this has been for me a huge time of like personal growth. Uh, I feel like I have like new uh, personal and psychological foundations that I've built at this time that I don't think that I would have even thought that I had the time to think about and build otherwise because previously, um, life was just full of a lot of noise and things that you have to do and things that you feel obligated to. Mm -hmm. And then in this moment it was all gone
3: and
0: all the bullshit was gone and mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're just kind of stuck with the things that are immediately around you and you can choose to either one in embr- you can look at I looked at it from a binary perspective it was a matter of okay I can either embrace these things or I can um not and be upset about the about everything all the time And so I just decided I'm going to run with this and really make the most of it. And it was pretty phenomenal in a lot of ways. Like I feel as though it was an opportunity for me to like reestablish a good relationship with food, a very good relationship with beverage, a very good relationship with like how I use my time. Um, it was like a whole new balance was established. And I think that that, um, wouldn't have happened without pulling the plug entirely. And it's kind of fucked up to think that you have to pull the plug to get to that point. Um, but that was what it was. And it really did work out super well. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I feel very fortunate that it did because I know that it's also been a very difficult time for a lot of people. Um, in so, in so far as losing jobs, especially, um high on for us very high unemployment um a lot of stress on uh government and you know stress for people to how am I going to find my next meal and all the grocery stores are full and shelves were empty for a minute it was like a pretty scary thing um but I just kind of Went into the world, did something, and then I came back home. But for yeah. others, it, it it hasn't been the same, and it's been stressful too. At the same time, I'm not employed right now, uh, but it's uh, it it could be something better at the same time if you chose for it to be. And I think that some people are pretty surprised by the the amount of like personal growth that mm-hmm. could have happened at that time, and that was yeah. what it was uh for me yeah but i think that i think it's easier since
2: like we're doing something creative like you like you're constantly thinking about things to do instead of just going somewhere and doing that and and that makes a difference like then all of a sudden you have all this time to actually think about all the things that you want to do and, and, and figure out how to make that true no yeah, that's it's so much harder if you like you have a job you just go do something mechanical basically or you just used to like some kind of life that's just safe and all of a sudden like that changes for me yeah and then yeah. it's like of course things change but you still have like the, the, the creativity still there the plans that you want to make are still there but you can make more of them now because you have more time and
1: yeah, I think, like Alexi was saying, it's given a lot of people time to reflect and uh, realize more personal goals. Um, I think there's a big uh, stigma in America for people to constantly be working hard to try and achieve this end goal of, I, I don't even know what we're chasing for. Well, I think it's, we, it's
0: this thing where you yeah, have some, to be sub- kind of, mm-hmm. unattainable. Right. Right. Yeah. We're just, uh, I I feel like it's also being subservient to others. Yeah, That's like
1: tied into this,
0: like fucked up rubber band ball of things.
1: Yeah. And like, like Alexi, I, I kind of have realized too, you know, I just, I want to go back to school. I want to progress my education and like, just work on this podcast with Alexi and grow this and like grow more creative endeavors and, you know I am fortunate to be in a position to do that, and I know a lot of people aren't, but at the same time, I feel like through the midst of this pandemic, this has been the most assistance the government has given the american people mm-hmm. it, uh, it, granted it's not a lot, but you know it has been something that we as Americans don't really receive and it's been nice to um have uh an ability to do that and i Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that within,
0: within all of that, um, this reprioritization is super important and being Mm -hmm. able to, to focus on yourself instead of your job, which is implicitly tied into making someone else successful. Now you can think about yourself for a minute. Uh, and, um, you know, for all of, for all of this talk that we make about, uh, Americans being self self uh, self-servient or really kind of uh individualistic in a lot of ways we are and we aren't as a people i right. think like we are we lose out to the influence of our jobs because our system doesn't support us and so mm. we end up overworking and overstressing about things and this is kind of, uh, put a pause on that. And mm-hmm. so if you're of the mind that, okay, the system before did not work. And I mean, I think, you know, uh, Sam and I are in this boat where we weren't really happy with how things were set up before. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're at a point where, Hey, now we can kind of move things around a little bit. Um, and hopefully, um, at the uh, at the other end of whenever um <laughs> things are going to be a little bit different and we can be more of ourselves more often and respect ourselves because that's really what we were losing right. before was when people yep. were working way too much and they weren't thinking about themselves or their family or their own personal relationships mm-hmm. um you lost yourself in all of that and so in a way yeah. This is asking us to be more selfish, but in a different way,
1: right?
2: Yeah, and let's hope this this is some, one of the good things that comes out of it. Like that, everybody, or at least a lot of people, get this kind of a epiphany where they realize like maybe I don't have to just be, you know, subservient to to some or other, or I
3: maybe I could do more of myself and do more
2: harder at, at going somewhere else and just being part of a system that I don't care for. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: that, that, that would be a great. I mean, of course, there's so many people who just, you know, get out of school early and then just straight into a job, and all of a sudden now they have to kind of reevaluate that. And then maybe, yeah, maybe that, that's one of the great things that comes out of the misery <laughs> that we're in right now. But, and then, and for you guys, I mean, that, that's great. But like having like a moment of um, taking care of yourself more than, than uh, caring about, like, oh, what's going to happen next? And this kind of stress that you, you were constantly having because you're creative or you want to do something or you want to be part of something, or you want to go somewhere. Now you can just like focus on, hey, what's right here? what What's right here now? And, uh, and then, yeah, I think that's
1: a great thing, even though it's not for everyone, obviously. Would you call that? A moment is it, it a moment yeah is it a moment yeah
0: <laughs> well i think like okay here's another thing and i i was listening to another podcast and the whole arc of the of the episode was okay what are you doing with uh with this time and how are creative people using this time mm-hmm. and the uh the the presenter was really kind of just shoving this narrative down the listener's throat of like this if you're creative this is the time it, to do things this absolutely. is the time to do it it is but at the same time i have to wonder that such stressful like this was a really stressful time for a lot of people totally. was it really could it have actually been the wrong time for creativity
1: well i so my take first yeah. is be... yeah
2: go ahead sir.
1: Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go for it. and then I want, I want yours, too. All right, so uh, for me, I felt musically uninclined creatively because, for me, my joy with playing music comes with... Uh, playing and writing music comes with playing live, and um, I recognize yeah. that's not going to be a thing for a very long time, so my pressure to be creative with music has dwindled. However, my uh, literature writing has... Grown exponentially in this time and um, cooking uh, more creatively has grown as well, and this podcast also, and yeah. all that kind of has been a more blossoming uh, endeavor. So, for you, Sam, it's more, uh, I wouldn't argue, departmental,
0: but more like what you can <laughs> do, the creativity spread into that.
1: Yes, I would say. How do you feel, Mikko? Yeah,
2: and and it's kind of like those things that you kind of put up or you go like, "Ah, I don't have the time for that, Uh, I just say no. (laughs) Ha, <laughs>
0: What are, uh, what are some of those other, uh, my interest has been piqued a little bit, what are some of the other uh, bands or uh, what are you comfortable disclosing as far as other projects you've been uh, helping out or working on? Not much that I can disclose, unfortunately, but you've you been
1: I think it's great. This time has really opened it up. I would say a lot of doors for people. Um, If there were any benefit, I guess, or silver lining in all this is the, the door it's open for a lot of people. If you're willing to recognize that it's there for sure. And I'm glad you're, you're able to recognize that as well. And you're, it seems like you're very much progressing yourself too. And it's great to hear. I love hearing that from people
0: yeah it really sounds like uh you you're finally able to say yes to projects and you're finally able to uh stretch your imagination and your creativity um and i think that that's a big part of all this is like when your instinct becomes no longer no but yes okay or maybe how can i make that happen um i think that uh, that's something that I've experienced that I know for you, Sam, it was the same thing, even just having this podcast. Oh yeah. Uh, this was like, someone would start to say the word podcast and I'd say, no, 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 no. I know. I'm like, <laughs> y- you know, you, you, it becomes so instinctual that it actually yeah. becomes like note becomes or no becomes like a rote sort of thing instead of, uh, yeah. an actual analysis and thought of, okay, why, um, why can I not do this? Or why can't I do this? Yeah. So
2: exactly. it's, yeah. I uh, like, oh, it's going to be too much work. It's going to take too much time. And I just, I can't. I just, uh,
0: uh, I just can't. Right. Can.
1: It,
2: exactly. It's going to work. And it, it's not a problem. Like, it's so much more fun to say, yeah, things And I I really changed, like, in the last year or so, uh, for, to where, like, why not? I can do it. Why not? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that if see this
2: happen, you know, and get into a situation that maybe you can be in other ways, that, that's a good point.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think if uh, on, the, uh, on the other side or in the next phase of things, if we are going to be more constructive as like Western or global society we need to not have no be the rote thing that we go to at the first in the first place if we're going to build a more collaborative and more understanding and more forgiving and more positive society then we need to not have no be the first thing that we think about cuz right. no is automatically sends you back to the way that things were done before yep and so uh and maybe that's instinct from seeing that happen world you know especially here in Sweden
2: it's a lot like oh we don't want this we don't want change we don't want that we don't want anything to, to interfere with you know our system and that becomes kind of xenophobia it becomes racism it becomes uh, um, this close-mindedness and like, that's not what you want to be a part of and I, and I think that uh,
3: has inspired me to, to go the opposite way right? That's uh, part of why I want to say yes to
2: things are not. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. I I feel uh, I feel pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> how
1: are you feeling?
0: Yeah. How 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 are the we we locked you inside? I'm yeah. sorry.
1: <laughs>
2: no, it's good. It's good. It's midnight here. It's super dark. It's a full moon. I'm, I'm looking, I have like this huge windows overlooking the of the ocean. It's pretty
1: damn sweet. That's beautiful. awesome. Beautiful,
2: beautiful night here one of the outer islands of the archipelago.
1: Okay, I was going to yeah. ask. Yeah, you said you were on the archipelago. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's super, you can get from civilization. It's like a hundred or on the
1: side. I'm a little jealous. Even yeah. I just went camping, I'm a little jealous. Yeah, I need to get out of the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been stuck in the city
0: for way too long going out in the archipelago sounds awesome yeah it sounds so great yeah
2: so. Um, we're just sitting here like listening to music drink beer all day like the what,
0: uh, what, chilling what, out what have you uh, I know Mikael we've been to Roadbird together we've we've enjoyed and shared a lot of music over the past what have you uh, enjoyed recently
2: oh wow it's so much good stuff right I mean this so many great albums coming out like lately that I've been listening to it's, uh, it's insane I think um, I think the last album that I wrote that I received was just a band in saga it's an incredible band in Sweden uh, Pixie Ninja one of the Swedish bands that i started listening to today the album came out on Friday it's one of the guys it's a progressive band from uh, Stockholm some of the members used to be in England which is one of my favorite bands of all time um then what else? Oh man, it's crazy. The Midnight. I've listened to a lot of hands I know I'm a great uh late on that train, but holy oh, shit
3: that's
2: digging all like the Fellow which aerial run ruin album. Fuck that kills me every time I listen to it. I love it. <laughs> what else am I to? Uh yeah, yeah. There's incredible amount of music being released I think and uh and I want to see, there's so many bands that I want to see now. It's, it's just like, I don't know, I, I'm making this in my head up, you know, next year's Roadburn or next year's whatever festival, you know, with the bands that I want to see. And uh, yeah. I'm not even sure that's going to happen. Uh, yeah.
0: There's
2: also a lot of new, great new Swedish bands like Kukukov. and
1: I mean, yeah, we've been, we've been going on our 2019-2020 list for a while. Um, I
0: feel like I just <laughs> want to throw away yeah. the list. We recorded that episode a couple yeah. weeks ago, and I feel like I want to throw that away now.
1: Yeah. No, there was um. Have, have you heard of the... I, I was actually just telling Alexi about this before we uh, picked up. Um, have you heard of the band... Um, I can't fully pronounce it. It's, I think it's Gaerea. It's G-A-E-R-E-A. Do you, do you know about them? I'm not sure yeah, they're like a death metal band i'm not quite sure where they're from but they just put down an album last week that was just it, it was brutal like really really good brutal okay um, i would definitely recommend that and then um there's a band from cool. the uk called venom prison i don't know are you into hardcore at all or is that kind of out of your realm a not little that bit? much but
2: i, I, I it's good
1: yeah, so they've been like re-releasing a bunch of uh, older material that they did that were a little... They, they weren't the highest quality recording, but they've just totally back, gone back into the studio and redid them, and the production on them is just right. unbelievable. I would definitely check out Venom Prison. Um, even if you're not the biggest yeah. hardcore fan, You know, it's just some it, huh? super okay. quality stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else has been on your, uh, your list? What else is this? I think like the, the album I've listened to the most,
2: um, it's probably like, lycanthropy, which is, uh, like, like, like but in pronounced in Swedish or spelled in Swedish, mm-hmm. which, uh, kind of retro rock band. It's fucking incredible. Like, I, I just can't get enough of it. Um, Super, super, super mellow and fussy and analog and, you know, in all the right ways. Mm. Um, and they released two albums and I uh, can't,
1: can't stop listening to that. Yeah. Um, there's one band I just like, I know I've raved about them so many times on this show, but also just to everyone. Have you heard of Sylvain? I know that uh, the songwriter, she was from Norway and I believe she moved to France so now she's like a French native, but she writes oh. a weird black oh. metal. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, sure. She's so good, wow. and she's yeah, so I, I, talented. The music just there's something about what she writes that just catches me that I just I really haven't felt from a new artist in a really really long time. Oh wow! Uh, That's
2: what's great about artists like that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For me it's, it's it's rare. Oh not not rare. I, I, I tend to I, I'm a, I'm am a sucker for new stuff like uh like most advanced that I've I've been
0: into before.
2: Like for instance like yeah Manu Ransi Basu have you guys heard that one? Oh mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yep, oh, yeah definitely yeah. I think that was one of the yeah. uh top albums that we talked about for uh for this year. That was a, a favorite. And it was awesome to um to see uh, a larger label like Nuclear Blast picking that band up too. It's a cool acknowledgement for that scene.
2: Yeah, my buddy Jens, that was his first, uh, he used to work at Central Media; He's our guy there and he moved to Nucleer Blast and it was his first signing. So I'm very proud of him. looks Then there's, you know the um, Dutch band Duo, Dool, D-O-O-L? The new album, They it was supposed to come out, like, they were supposed to do you know, reveal at World good this year. Oh, oh. And, and 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 play the entire album called Summerland at the you know at, on the, on Thursday of Roadrun, but of course that didn't happen and then the album came
1: out like two weeks before yep. you know, early April or something like that. They were on but my list oh, this gosh, year. Like, mm-hmm. They were on my list. I wanted to see them yeah. so bad. yeah Oh man. <laughs> yeah.
2: I saw them when they played there like three years ago and I've seen them uh, a couple more times, but uh, I want to sing now because this new album is so good.
1: Um, I'm actually. And of course, you know the right Swedish now.
2: band Low Right, Low, R- Low Rider. I heard the refraction, their the comeback album from Low Rider.
0: No, I no, haven't. Actually. I haven't listened to it yet. No.
3: Oh no! I
2: mean, <laughs> I think they 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 set the bar like ten years ago when it comes to like doom and in Sweden, like doom and sludge and like really kind of heavy desert block and then all the other bands came along and did the same thing for years and years and now kind of nobody came back and was like hey guys hold my beer And, it it <laughs> and so... sick it really
0: is oh man but that's one of the albums that i think listened to I think this
1: year I think I'm going to be listening to this when I get home
0: yeah, I think uh, we we have some stuff to add for... Uh, I think so. <laughs> may, we may be calling you again when it comes to the albums of... Uh, albums of no, the yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so but it's much. it's exciting. I think that this year has been really exciting. It's so much cool, interesting year. And, uh, and, and now I have the time. I, I spend a lot of time with my headphones on and sitting at home going through new albums, old albums, you know, all my final collection, all that stuff. It's just it's a perfect time to do that, too. That's something we should celebrate.
1: More music listening time. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: Absolutely. I think it's it's also going to be interesting to see what happens later in the year when all of the albums that were supposed to be released earlier in the year get pushed. Yeah. And so there's going to be weeks where there's like 15 or like, <laughs> I think all of September and like part of October is just going to be like five, you know, every label is going to have at least one release out that week. That's mm-hmm. um, going to be interesting. So it's probably <laughs> good. That... <laughs> Say that again.
2: Uh, that's when we're gonna release an album so yeah don't tell me this
0: (laughs) (laughs) no but you're end of October right so (laughs) oh yeah that's true (laughs) oh um Mikael thank you for your time and thank you for joining us this was uh, a really really lovely conversation on so many levels great to talk to you guys again yeah Yeah. so fun to catch up thank you for joining us on Heavy Hops this was a pleasure
1: yeah thank you so much
2: thank you so much Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. I hope to guys see you guys in person
1: very soon. As soon as our, our passports are viable again, we'll be on the first plane over. <laughs>